Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome to Making Data Simple. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all the listeners out there. Today I have with me Michael Cohen. He is the Global Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Plus Company, which is around customer-centric, privacy-protecting marketing AI. I know, understand what all those words are individually. He's going to help me understand what they mean all put together. But a little bit more on Michael. He is an ML and AI product and market expert in consumer data technologies. He has built, marketed, sold, acquired, integrated, comprehensive, explainable machine intelligence products for marketing. This has been done in a wide range of marketing and media management, including marketing optimization, experimentation optimization, user privacy and legal compliance. I could go on and on. Michael, thank you for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Start off, tell us a little bit about yourself, what your experience is, and what brings you to today. Yeah, we'll start with today. Today, as you said, I'm the uh, Global Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Plus Company. Plus Company is a global network of full full service agencies and marketing. We have a what we call a full funnel creative sort of offering, social media to digital transformation and more traditional media and creative services. So where do I sit in, in that world? Uh, and what am I responsible for? I'm responsible for uh, plus intelligence, right? So when I think about data, I think about what we can do with it. And, and ultimately that's uh, intelligence that the data and the technology we wrap, we wrap around it provides. So that's what I'm here to do at a high level. How did I get here? Well, I spent over the last decade, building a number of uh, SaaS uh, products that really use data to help marketers uh, improve their decision-making using uh, measurement of, uh, from data and application to uh, build decision support systems to help make decisions about how to allocate their investments in, in marketing drivers and, and what they should put into those investments. Before that, I was actually in the academia. I was a full-time faculty member of professor at NYU Stern School of Business, and I was doing, hmm. you know, research in, in, you know, writing academic papers in, in the realm of uh, applications of AI and prediction for uh, marketing management. And that's where I started my career. But I felt that I could do more, have a bigger impact um, if I started building products that were scalable and that marketers could use. I seem to be asking this a lot of guests. What's your brand then? Is it professor, like teacher? Is it marketer? Or is it data analyst, uh, engineer? <laughs> what, what do you consider yourself most if I got to push you over the side of the fence? I tell people I'm like a marketer and that's really when I think about problems and how to solve them, that's where I start. You know, Along the way, I learned a bunch of math and computer science and economics and stuff like that. But I knew I needed to learn the hard stuff if I was going to be a good marketer. I don't know that you can do marketing without it today, can you? Uh, math, hard stuff. No, Computer yeah, I mean, science. certainly uh, financial literacy, I think, is important for any uh, modern um, marketing leader. So tell me a little bit about the Plus Company. This is an entrepreneurial network of agencies, right? It's like Citizens Relations, Mechanism, We Are Social, several others. How does that come to, uh, to be and how does that play out in terms of your current role? 
It comes to be through the formation of uh, that that comes about from looking for uh, greater efficiency and economic synergy through combining different different parts, and that's just both in terms of the economy of scale of bringing together a bunch of companies as well as scope, and that the sort of scope expansion is really this full funnel idea. You mentioned PR agencies, you mentioned full service media agencies, digital transformation, social, all of these things that a marketer is trying to do in uh, building an optimal communication journey with their audience, with their their customers. And uh, there's benefits in, of integrating that. And that was really the impetus for creating this network of diverse agencies on a global scale um, and helping them be the best that they are in their domains, but continuing to integrate the offering into a more full funnel things is distinct from, you know, holding company roll-up sort of strategy. But do they still operate independently? All yes, independently? Very, very much so. They're led by uh, C- separate CEOs um, yeah. and uh, they manage their own budgets. And, and then you come in and, and help them or guide them around some of the technology integration with marketing. Yeah. So when it comes to technology, I mean, it's most beneficial at scale. Um, You can get better innovation. You can get better scale economics. You can make better products um, as a result of that, you know, sort of combined wisdom. So the product here is one that serves the whole network. and, um, And that's what we provide them to help help integrate, right? Like if you want to create a a brand message, you know, better be connected to the ultimate performance objectives that are happening down the funnel. And, um, you know, with, with more comprehensive data and and predictive solutions, you can do that. And that's, that's my role to have sort of the centralization or the integration through technology and data to help them. And you you provide them solutions holistically, or are you addressing pain points one-on-one or a little bit of both? I'm definitely more of a, a holistic system sort of thinker. I think that's pretty critical in this age of um, leaders asking, well, what, what is AI or what is data and what is it going to do for me? And, you know, I I want people to see the system possibility that um, we're not trying to do a bunch of point solutions here. And I'll give an example of what that means. A friend of mine, Avi Goldfarb at the University of Toronto, uh, he's written with some colleagues a couple books on uh, prediction now. And uh, he shares as one of the ex- examples about system sort of change in, the, in, in general as, uh, you know, black cabs in, in London, right? And the process mm-hmm. of becoming a black cab driver for the longest time was almost like a three-year apprenticeship before you actually got out there and could be an independent cab driver where you had to like learn the roads in a classroom and then, you know, go on ride along and then be on a probationary sort of period. And then comes along this thing, GPS, that is, you know, is becoming cheaper and integrated into our mobile technologies. And and suddenly you have mapping technology and, Mm -hmm. you know, you can either ask yourself, well, do I take these professional drivers and make them cheaper or do we create some, you know, systematically different technology um, that makes everybody a professional driver. I think you know where I'm going here, but you know we went that later route. I mean, the economy did, uh, and, and entrepreneurs did when they came up with rideshare sort of apps, right? So right. anybody could be a professional driver in London with a GPS, and and um, 
And that's system level change versus just point sort of solutions. So driving our innovation roadmap is very much about how do we as humans and, and having a human centric AI sort of you reorganize around the possibilities of, of data and technology. So I want to go into what you're offering at Plus Company, but I think the best way to start, at least for me, is to expand upon what you just said there. What are traditional approaches to marketing that have become outdated and that fail to capture the increasing complexity of the the customer journey today that you're tackling in your role with Plus Company? Yeah, that's a big question to un, unwrap. I mean, you can go all the way of course. back to the <laughs> beginning of, of promotion to really identify this stuff. And everybody always pulls out the classic Wanamaker quote about, uh, I know half of my marketing is working. I'm just not sure which half um, for advertisement. <laughs> and um, it's been a journey in, in figuring that out. At the same time as, as the way that we're able to reach and communicate with customers and the things that we think are important about those, even on a generational level, evolves so uh it was easy when it was just tv and and newsprint and you know madmen were coming up with the next great idea to a place where shareholders and and boards and ceos are expecting marketers to have more accountability because the availability of data they want more visibility into this complex complex ecosystem of of um advertising technologies the monopolists that you know control data and that are selling them technology that are selling them advertising and how is all of this helping the bottom line and and that's come on really strong in the last 10 years but things have developed in terms of the different technologies that uh, we're using to reach people whether that's social media platforms or different types of digital advertising transformation and TV becoming more digital and, and um, connected. and uh, But these things are very fragmented, right? So what's a marketer to do? They know they need to reach their customers in all these different places, but the data for that exists in all those different places and it needs to be integrated and harmonized. Historically, people went with a much more top-down sort of view, like what's the basic information about what are the different media channels I'm invested in, for example, and how does that affect sales on a, on a seasonal and cyclical basis? Underlying that is, is really the story, as is, is you uh, indicated about the customer's journey. I mean, I think about that as the fundamental building block of the marketplace, how uh, audiences and, and consumers or potential consumers in general are, uh, are moving through the marketplace, how marketers are communicating with them, and how they're consuming media, how they're responding to it, uh, how they're consuming and responding to other types of marketing signals all the way through to pricing, and how that affects their decision all along the way and on a continuous basis. So if I'm interested in really reporting back to the to the CEO about how division is doing, I you know would expect that she or he would expect the same sort of report that they got from the supply chain group or, or revenue and finance that was actually connected to well, what's the investment that we're making and what's the return on that and, and reporting that back in a in, in a coherent, uh, plausible, you know, sort of way, which which we've made attempts at that, but I think the credibility has been uh, an issue, some some sort of overstatement of the return on investment in the marketing domain. You'd think every conversion that happens through the company happened because of some 
marketing or media investment. It's just not marketing true. I mean, it does. <laughs> right. They'll say it. But I mean, like as cons- marketers, as consumers, they're like, yeah, uh, I pay attention to like a hundredth of a percent of what I actually see out there. And by the way, I'm buying this because I need it for my home, not because I saw some ad for it. Right. It's like just the baseline demand for any sort of product or service is the major determinant of whether somebody buys it or not although the marketing uh, helps and it's critical to the success of the business. Mm-hmm. So w- what's the solution here then? Well, as I was doing my research on Plus Company, it talked a lot about, and I'm, I, I don't even think I'm pronouncing this right, so you can correct me on it, but it's AIOS, which is an intelligent all-in-one system for marketing. It's it's predictive intelligence, which I'd like your inform- or your definition on, if you will, but it talked about, defining the outcome such as a purchase and then reverse engineering that customer shopping journey from the initial ad to online reviews, et cetera. But is that the secret sauce or is that only one element of, of what you're doing here? Or is that kind of the uh, the nervous system of, of how you're solving some of these problems? Yeah, you definitely put your finger on the big idea. I think, um, there's another way to explain it that might be useful for your, your audience and um, those that are familiar with the general idea of generative AI that we've been hearing about. And most generative AI that people are talking about are things like language or image or sound generation, mm-hmm. right? Um, but fundamentally, uh predictive intelligence or um, AI, the sort of AIs we're working with today are sophisticated forms of um, statistical prediction with some sort of um, judgment framework wrapped around them. So, you know, the large language models just predict what the next word will be given the sequence of words that that came before. Uh, So they're tailored to be really good at that thing. Right. It's a pretty general thing. It's really generally useful, but it's it's an AI that's focused on being a specific thing. Yep. And all. Yeah. You have a question. No, no, no. I said, yeah, yeah. It's like it's computer science at the end of the day. It's this statistical uh, word prediction, which almost when you put it in a, a story context, people start getting scared or weirded out because it almost looks like it's thinking. But at the end of the day, it's just computer science. Right. Well, yeah, the combination of computer science, statistics, and then that human judgment framework that's wrapped around it, which is really important to how this all evolves. And yeah. and just to, to get back to AOS a little bit, um, the ability to predict something that we don't have from something we have is really what generative AI is about. So what is it that I don't have as a marketer? Um, I have lots of data. It's fragmented. It's in different forms. It comes in at different rates. Uh, and all that data is very informative about um, what I what I want that I don't have, which is the very detailed uh, customer journey um, that I'm looking to optimize. So, um, you know, there's a form of, of generative AI called uh, data augmentation. And data augmentation, you know, allows you to, um, to predict uh, something that you, you don't have, like say you may be familiar with the idea that um, a company like Facebook doesn't share its customer level data, right? They're described as walled gardens, right? This is a competitive mm-hmm. advantage sort of data from mm-hmm. them, but they share data about what they're delivering overall in terms of impressions. And you have a sense for who's in the marketplace and you know what happened in your accounting ledger in terms of uh, who 
purchased what or that you know product or service was purchased and when you start to bring those pieces together you begin to see you can solve a puzzle that allows you to to predict with a fairly high degree of precision what sort of um, media or marketing or communication touch point a particular individual had so this is you don't have that particular touch point but you can use prediction to recover it to a level that provides much more representative visibility than a marketer ever had before um, and it follows the same idea you're just using powerful prediction that the cost of it and the speed of it's becoming cheaper uh, to predict things that you want from the things that you and, and don't have from the things that you do have. So once I know or have a sense that somebody's been exposed to something and I know what they did, now I'm ready to, to measure it. So the reason why it's called data augmentation is because it sits between the prediction that you're interested in, which is how my media or communication investment affected the actual outcome that drives the stock price. And that I didn't, I had to predict that, that impression in and of itself because I didn't have it because Facebook kept it to themselves, for example, or, you know, for a given individual, like we have privacy protections, we might not want uh, companies to have detailed information about um, exposure. And so there's, you know, cookie protection and all this sort of thing. Um, but, you know, prediction can overcome this and can do it in privacy preserving ways. That's what AOS is doing fundamentally. It's using a type of generative AI called data augmentation to recover the customer's journey in a you know, representative way to get marketers the data that they need to make the decisions and then uh, measure the impact of those things to report those back, as I said earlier, to the, the CEO and, and finance um, in, uh, you know, uh, metrics that have face validity. Makes sense. So um, we're talking data. Let me say this back to you just a bit. Data augmentation, whereas GPTs are designed for language prediction, which I often say any, there's a lot of things that can be languages. What you're doing is using predictive intelligence to be, to be able to predict like consumer touch points, behavioral patterns, et cetera. How, how does that really come to be? I guess, let me explain. I mean, here's my question. Like if I'm using a generative AI solution, you usually got to prompt it. You know, you got to prompt it for something. You got to throw it in there, ask it a question. The more specifics and the better you are at prompting, the better answers you're going to get. Is it essentially the same manner or the same workflow around data augmentation? Well, let's take a step back, right? Uh, before there was a system that you could prompt, somebody needed to, to build that, right? The, the prediction technology that did this thing where it predicted words from prompts or images from prompts. And, and sure, every sort of input-output machine works like that. So in that sense, yeah, it was in data augmentation is a prediction output machine. But it's um, the, the way that, uh, say, GPTs were um, constructed and, and improved um, is twofold. One, they took prediction technologies that were just really good at predicting things, right, like neural networks. And then they put a transformer, which is a very structured sort of supervision <laughs> over the prediction that, you know, allows you to predict words in particular. Well, the same sort of idea is happening with data augmentation. You have things, you have mathematical algorithms, for lack of a better term, that are doing prediction, but they also there's also a structure around those that says, hey, for this particular uh, exercise that I want you to do, which is predict uh, exposure to marketing across individuals and how people respond to it, sort of a three-legged chair, 
this is the structure you need to put around it the same way that pre-trained transformers put structure around neural networks to predict words. And, uh, and then finally, the way that any of these forms of intelligence that use prediction combined with structured human judgment evolve is that, is that you give them examples and then you see how they respond and then you put more structure on it, right? The way that chat GPT came to be is that they started using predictions that humans saw and they're like, oh, that doesn't look right to me. Let me give that feedback to the AI and then that places more structure uh, on, on the predictor. And so they evolve in a similar sort of way that you need prediction, you need uh, a system to um, constrain human judgment on that. It's like systematized and mathematical and then you need a process to improve it over time. So in, in that way, it's the same sort of thing. Then you get to the prompting, which is like, okay, now I have this very powerful machine. What do I want it to do? Well, I want it to understand these different types of communication touch points for audiences in Germany. And I'm focused on a couple different KPIs as a marketer, like uh, brand awareness, website visitation, and product sale. And that's the sort of configuration or the prompting that, you know, a full funnel uh, communication measurement system would require to get its initial setup. And is, is it pronounced AIOS? Uh, AOS. AOS. That's what I thought. Right. But is it the, the chat GPT of marketing then? Is that how you would describe it? I, I, I come closer to describing it as like a um, an investment software, like the way that you go to your Fidelity investments and you look at all mm -hmm. the different things that you have invested in. And then, you know, there's some intel around those investments and some extra metrics, and then you make decisions, right? And then you activate those decisions. So um, in, in marketing, that means, well, you know, where do I spread my dollars and my activities? And then what sort of communication um, tactics, creative and message do I put into that inventory? That's how I think about AOS. Again, I'm, I tell you, I always start with the marketer's perspective here, mm -hmm. but fundamentally that's uh, as a platform, as an all-in-one uh, system for, for marketing uh, and what its potential is, maybe even beyond marketing is to optimize this uh, communication journey for, for customers, but it could be anyway, it could be uh, employee experience. That's how I think about it. I don't know oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I'll ask another silly question. Cause that's what I do here. Is it based off a foundational model? Well, to me, a foundational model means that I'm interested in understanding the underlying process that generates the data. Um, other foundational approaches just say, well, I want something that's really good at predicting some sort of outcome, right? So people that work in data science and algorithm engineering are familiar with general frameworks like support vector machines or regression or um, neural networks, any, any of these things. And this comes at it a little bit from a different angle, which is more of like, I'd say, a social science or business science sort of angle which is what's the underlying phenomena that I believe generates the data and that that's how I'm going to write down the algorithm or the predictive framework. And then I'll use like standard notions of probability around that. Like the example that I give is um, that I want to maximize the probability of some model I have given the data that's available about it, which is, you know, maximum likelihood or Bayesian posterior. Uh, maximization. But the important part there is like within the idea that I want to predict something about 
a phenomena that I believe in, which is the structure. And when I'm talking about the phenomena, I mean this journey the consumer takes and how they respond to that journey. That's the fundamental model mm-hmm. that I write down. It has a general form. It's it's uh, positioned in a long history of uh, econometrics sort of literature, and you know it, it utilizes. Um, Modern constructs and in prediction, you know, the computer science part, like how do I maximize this thing? Well, you know, TensorFlow will help me do that, but I have to tell it fundamentally what it is that I want to maximize. So it's maximizing the probability that a particular consumer's journey occurred uh, given the data that's available. And that data, you know, this, this goes to the sort of data-centric AI notion, needs to be arranged in in the rawest form that I can provide it so it can extract the most information versus versus a more structured data analysis. That's another part of the big idea. That if I just structure the data the way I always do for the set of sort of fundamental fundamental prediction technologies that I use, I'll never be able to get at the information that's in there that I never considered was in there because I always use the same predictive approaches. I could speak a lot more about that, but that that's an important. Where does the corpus too. of data come in? Then is it based on some of these agencies? They use their own corpus of data. Is the, you guys share data? Is it a new form of data you're providing at Plus? I mean, how how does that play out? Well, the data inputs are coming from brand advertisers themselves. Their knowledge about what they sell, where they sell it, when they sold it, uh, communications they do themselves, emails. Uh, what they're doing on their own website properties. They come from the various media platforms and, and ad tech platforms in some form. It might be at a very granular level. It might be at a much more aggregate level. You know, if you get information from a, a radio or um, a print, you you know, only have a general sense for uh, overall uh, impressions, but that's still useful in building the the journey. So it comes in from all different sort of places. That's one of the biggest challenges that you have to overcome from an engineering perspective to build a product like this is how do you quickly integrate data of different types and then normalize it against a standard taxonomy that allows the data to to be different, right? Rather than put it in a relational database Mm -hmm. where everything's nice and structured and easy to analyze, but you'll never get as much information out of it as it really holds. I presume everything we're talking about in terms of really getting value is going to be around unstructured data. I mean, structured data is a given, but the unstructured data is where it all comes in. And I, I guess what I'm hearing from you is then the brand would come to you and say, look, uh, I need you to help me with my marketing, uh, my client touch points, et cetera. And then you would say, all right, uh, what data do you have that you want us to look at? Where is it coming from? Is it structured? Is it unstructured? You'd put that together. Then you'd outline the framework and then you'd use AOS. Well, AIS does all of that in a very general way. It's we productized all of that um, where I can take in a wide array of data, uh, various forms, and then um, do this very general idea, which is, you know, put it through the customer journey recovery um, system. That, uh, so AIS is all you need then. I mean, you just take this and then do you over offer services or something to plug in all the different entry points, like the, the data, the corpuses of data, or is it pretty well self-explanatory that a client could do this by themselves? Pretty much. It's somewhere in between that, between self-explanatory and having software that you can go to, to do the implementation yourself. 
So mm -hmm. you could do that, but you need to know enough about how to implement as, as the product exists today. It's always a, a pillar of our roadmap to make um, implementation easy for anybody to do. Uh, but it does amount to just connecting, you know, pointing EOS towards the set of APIs that you have available for a scope that you want to um, to measure and do prediction and optimization on. And, and then you let it go until you get to the point of, well, I have um, uh, I, I, I've taken the data, I've organized it, I've used that data to train algorithms that are very specific to my business and my consumers' journeys. And now I want to use those artifacts to actually make business decisions so then i'll take that information i'll put it into a decision support system that helps me uh, build scenarios here's the time the place the budget and then it gives back a plan here's what you should do and now you need to, to activate it right so where we are today that activation is happening in the typical platforms where you're buying um, media communication or you're able to carry it out in your own call centers, on your websites, all of that stuff. So it has to be broadcast back out to those places. As we go, uh, we'll be able to do that in a more consolidated way, such that that activation can be done directly from the software to close close the loop fully. Well, let, let me take one step back because I got a follow-on question for you. I noticed when I was doing the introduction, particularly if you look at your LinkedIn, you'll see customer-centric privacy protecting marketing AI. Uh, the, the key word in there that I wanted to jump in on privacy. With everything you're talking about and the challenges we have today, it's navigating privacy regulations. I got to believe that's a significant challenge. How are you tackling that challenge? So remember what we're trying to do is create a representative picture of um, the marketplace for the marketer. The marketer doesn't care exactly who you are, like which address you are and what your DNA is. They are interested in, in delivering a message about something valuable that they have to you that, that you can choose to buy or not. And, um, you know, you can do that without having a personally identifiable information. Prediction helps you abstract more from that, right? Such that, the, the customer you have is, is fully representative or, or all the customers in the marketplace, let's say the full population of the U.S. is what the um, software is reporting on. But any one customer would be a tokenized notion of that with some sort of predicted rendering of the consumer journey, which is representative, but not exact. But it's that sort of uh, thing that, um, you know, abstracts to a level that is you know, more privacy preserving. And it also generates a more user acceptable picture to the marketer. These deterministic sort of solutions that you try to use personally identifying information, um, they're full of holes, right? Because of privacy regulation and world garden and all this sort of stuff. So you can't possibly get a business representative picture uh, of customer journeys unless you have this sort of solution. So those are two uh, important points uh, about how prediction can can um, solve the privacy problem. Now, of course, prediction can be some become so good that without personally identifying information, you could still identify stuff about the individual. Like as a corner case, imagine if there's only one person that lived in a massive geographic area, say in the north of Canada or something like. So you know, you could say, well, I can identify that person and what they're doing even though you abstracted from it. But you have to put those sort of protections in place, like that 
you know, maybe I should only be able to analyze geographic areas that contain 50 or 100 people. Those protections in the limit are important because, you know, the predictive technology is that good. All right, switching gears on you a bit then. Look, when I was reviewing your website, you have a a lot of algorithms, you know, GitHub repositories. Look, by the way, you talk about being a marketer. You seem like you're pretty technical to me. (laughs) So how do the algorithms that you've created out here play into all this? Yeah. um, Well, you know, like I said, I figured I needed to learn the technical stuff if I was to do the, um, the business stuff well. So I spend a lot of time doing that, but always doing that with some sort of very practical goal in mind, uh, mm-hmm. like marketing management. When it comes to algorithms, there's, there's a couple of things, a very general term, right? Sometimes we use it to mean the underlying you know, predictive math that we're using to predict a phenomena, like where we think data comes from, customers moving through the marketplace. It's the computer science that we need to actually train those those models and then, you know, utilize them in some way, provide some intelligence off of that learning. And that's really what, if you you go to my website, the sort of algorithms that you'd see there, and I haven't probably written uh, much code, certainly not production code in a decade now or so that, you know, I I have a very specific uh, data generating phenomena that I want Mm -hmm. to provide some machinery to recover from some data that's available. Let me write that down and then figure out how to actually train that at scale, given the computational resources that were available at that time. So, you know, when I started um, uh, developing these algorithms as an academic, my ability to actually demonstrate that they work and how they work is limited by the sort of computation that was available. And and at that time, um, you know, cloud computing and distributed computing became more available. You know, that required allowed me to write algorithms that could exploit the benefits of this sort of parallelized uh, distributed computing in a way that I could train models that people couldn't train before because they'd take decades and decades to train. Those models at that time would take six months to train. Now they take two minutes, right? And that's really like the the driving force behind all of this is that the, the price and the time of prediction just keeps on dropping. Good answer. So look, if you were to package all this and summarize like your two minute pitch, on, um, if you were to summarize your two minute pitch on Plus Company, what would it be? For those those listeners out there, Plus they've heard everything to this point. And by the way, you're you're welcome to elaborate on anything we might have missed. Uh, I so first, I'll give this from a, the biased perspective of somebody who's interested in um, radical AI driven sort of transformation. That that means that we, as we talked a little bit about system level change earlier. And as I look at the world of, um, of agency, of marketing agency, we, we have to recognize that the things that we have people doing today, the price or, uh, that we can command for those things must be dropping if we're making people more efficient with, with AI, right? Um, so any business that's built on a time and material sort of model, uh, either it has to really, really improve the value of, of the time and materials to charge more for them. But the, the trend has been for the price of those time and materials to keep coming down and for agencies to become more and more efficient. But it's time to sort of turn that model on its head where you know a system level change might allow us to build business models that can better 
help us capture the value of what we do or how we organize around AI or other data-driven technologies to in, you know provide better services and, and outputs for uh, advertisers and marketers and others looking to communicate uh, with the marketplace. So you know that's what we're trying to do at, at Plus Company is um, is um, you know have the sort of AI, you know from my perspective the the intelligence driven strategy that allows us to come out with a, a differentiated product. Right, Naos is an example of that. If you think about taking Aos and making it part of some of these other technologies that people use, like image generation or language generation, and and part of that prompt is information about the marketplace, it's going to make way more performant outputs, right? Like it'll if those things make advertisements, those advertisements will be based on how people actually act, and it's it's that sort of tech strategy that that I'm after. But it's also more importantly this sort of human centric AI strategy that I'm after the plus company, which is having people that begin to arrange, you know, organize differently around the technologies in ways that are more valuable for customers and in ways that uh, as a business leader, um, I can share that value with our clients and our customers such that we can have a successful business model rather than go the way of the dinosaur and the way that I expect time and materials related businesses, people doing the same old stuff better with point solutions just ain't going to cut it what does plus do that no one else can do there's two things we can move fast to do innovative things like the fact that plus go hires somebody like me who doesn't come from agency uh is is a test you know testifies to that that they're going to hire a a product tech person which is fundamentally a different business model and and culture right than an agency how the hell do you fit Mm -hmm. that in well you you make the company inviting for uh diversity and different and, and entrepreneurship um, the other thing that's going on is that we do have a scale such that, you know, we can make investments that matter. So if you're small and you're really nimble, sometimes it's really hard to get the investment unless you have a bunch of VC backers and, you know, high risk sort of decisions or you're a big holding company that can't get out of your way to do anything. We're that like right size. So if you look at our like size and this model of having a diverse network of, um, of entrepreneurs and that you have, you know, a leadership that would bring in the a crazy looking character like myself, you know, relative to agency sort of leaders and actually, you know, release a real product in the market and start to transform our own business model in a way that's more value driven. Like, I I think, I think all of those things are very different before you get to AOS and say, Hey, you know, they have a unique technology that today nobody has, and they're, they're getting a head start. They have marketers that are using this sort of technology and there's a product roadmap that is going to continue to integrate these sort of predictive um, uh, technologies and the value that they provide in, in ever growing ways. So anything else you'd like to bring up that we didn't cover today? I'm sure there's, there's <laughs> lots, uh, you know, the, the thing that, that I fear the most is, is, people getting in the way. And that doesn't mean being uh, not being careful about adopting new technologies and understanding them. You know, we've seen a lot of that this past weekend with discussion about uh, change in leadership at uh, OpenAI um, right. and, and generalized, um, you know, general AI that's like smarter than, than humans. That's a real thing. We're heading in that direction. So we need to be, we need to be careful where we don't need to, you know, we can be careful enough is using the sort of very 
pointed types of AI that we have available to us today, figure out how to organize around those and build policy and protection around those things and really reap the benefits of that rather than people saying all AI bad, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thinking that for somebody who's always trying to transform stands in my way the most. So I think, I think there are legitimate philosophical concerns about um, generalized AI and more powerful AI, um, but we can't let that stand in the way of the sort of societal benefits that we could realize when, as we carefully and responsibly develop prediction to, to do things in different ways that we couldn't imagine doing last month. Crazy. I don't know when this this podcast will air in probably a few weeks, but yeah, this last weekend, Sam Altman out as OpenAI CEO, but I have the feeling he's going to be back in here before too long. This is like chaos. Well, thank you. I'm very appreciative of all the comments that you, you've made. I do have a couple more questions, but before I move on, where can folks reach you? I want to make sure I get that out there. You mentioned my website. That's uh, www.ma cohen c-o-h-e-n dot net um and and then from there you can find me on uh, linkedin links and github links and all these sort of things uh email that's probably the best um channel through which to ultimately reach reach me and then plus company plus company.com p-l-u-s right and then there's a aos you should be able to find the aos website there and plus intelligence as well within Fantastic. Hey, uh, so yeah, a couple more questions, just kind of, they're more personal, but, uh, you know, still technical or related to your, your, your day job. One thing you said on LinkedIn that sparked my interest was aggressive innovation roadmaps. What do you mean by those? Yeah. um, Two things like always try to do the right thing, right? Which, um, which starts with asking the question, well, what if this could be uh, done differently? Or do we really need to do that? And I guess I'll give a concrete example. I mean, related to what I've talked about already, which is, you know, business models that are related to time and materials sort of billing of mm-hmm. clients and customers uh, rely on things like timesheets, right? So you can either think about a solution for making, um, the, the filling out and the reporting on timesheets uh, more efficient say, with AI or automation. Um, or, or you could, you know, allow a business that uh, is time and materials to evolve into a business that's more um, as a service license and, and value-based pricing uh, sort of model. And then you don't have to have, you know, timesheets for the purpose of uh, revenue accounting reasons. So, you know, I'm always trying to make that that leap of like, well, why are we doing this this way? Let's let's just actually solve the problem that has driven us to do it this way to begin with. I, I think the 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 big idea behind the um, behind AOS is like this, which is, you know, why do I have to keep using the sort of same structured data analyses that everybody else is using, pulling data from the same structured relational databases? Let me think about what it is I want to do or what the data is that I want as a marketer and then reverse engineer the system. Like if I could train the model that I wanted, what would it look like? Let me write that down. Okay. Now I have the model. Well, if I could, if I could do that, well, how should I arrange the data to do that? And can I use data that, that isn't 
you know, customer level data to tell me something about customers and just keep pushing that envelope to be able to do something really different to get at what it is we ultimately want rather than try to engineer our way in a much more confined world or game, change the game. Hey, what's your biggest concern about the new chat GPT or data augmentation world that we live in today? Do you have a concern? Well, I mean, I guess it starts with humans, right? Um, (laughs) Humans doing bad or nefarious sort of things is always a concern. Uh, But humans not doing the right thing. The thing that always scares me on a daily basis is uh, sloth and uh, inaction. And the inaction is an action. So, you know, whether you're um, uh, not leaning into AI and figuring out how to use it and figuring out how to make it better and protect um, people and, and businesses around it, then, you know, you're sitting around and probably letting the, the criminals get better uh, with it and its understanding. And then you're also not helping your business if you're a business leader or your society if you're a local government leader. Uh, it's, it's happening, lean, lean into it. So I'd say inaction is the thing that scares me the most. That and fake news for me, <laughs> but I got it. Hey, anything that you see on the horizon, speaking of prediction of in marketing that you think is going to be the next disruptive thing that maybe folks like myself that aren't marketers haven't even thought of. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll step back a, a little from marketing and I'll just as a business sort of application, like I think there's going to be some, some smart entrepreneurs like product and tech entrepreneurs that continue to develop AI technologies that can help make your average or low performing employees and perform as well as your highest performing employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy would, you know, if you ask any manager, if you could do that, holy holy cow, that would be transformative. And we already see lots of evidence of that, right? I told the story earlier about uh, black cabs and making your average driver, uh, a London cab driver in the morning sort of thing with the technology. Um, that That's really where I think, especially managers should be looking like, how do I use AI to make everybody as strong as my strongest employees in various ways? There's, there's been some research, you know, get, with ChatGPT in particular, and Boston Consulting Group, the um, uh, some researchers at a Harvard Business School, you know, uh, gave a, a bunch of uh, analysts or, or um, people working there uh, a uh, the ChatGPT technology to do their job, and then had a control group, and then saw that the productivity and quality was substantially larger for that with the technology. So. You know, there's there's more evidence, and then I think there'll be more product that makes that sort of value proposition present pretty quickly. This, when I say this year, I mean 24. Look, final question. This should be the easiest one for today. When you're not doing algorithms, when you're not doing marketing, what do you do for fun? Uh, I'm a fly fisherman. I'm a wine collector. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a husband and a parent of two young boys, which I. You know, I think as they're in school, you know, how does this all affect, you know, what they should be focusing on to be, to live their own rewarding sort of life certainly is different than the sort of math and and English education that that I went through and you went through uh, as a kid. So I'm trying to think proactively about that stuff too. Where do you fly fish? 
So I'm in New York. One of the best places in the Northeast is um, uh, the Upper Delaware system, where it mm-hmm. comes together from East and West Branch. And if you like fly fishing for brown trout on the surface with small terminal tackle, then so you're using that's you're using uh, dry uh... yeah all, all all dry flies, uh, um, mayflies and caddis and typical sort of uh, hatch that happens uh, up there through the year. But it's uh, I don't want to say it's too great of a fishery, but it's a great fishery. I just don't want to see other fishermen on the river at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I got the, I I get it, man, because uh, I went this weekend, actually. That's why I ask. Uh, My father, we went to Southern Missouri, I live in Kansas City, and there's a, there's a place down there. They're off season right now, but it turned out to be, so you, you know, you can't keep anything or anything else like that. Uh, But there was hardly anybody there. It was fantastic. Although I didn't create or I didn't catch anything on dry flies. We started with dry fly, but but we did okay. It's fun stuff. It's uh I, I get a lot of audio books in while I'm, I'm fishing and relaxing. I don't know you if go. you do the yeah. same, but it just being in nature is uh, yeah. helpful to my brain's reconstruction and rest. <laughs> I get it. You gotta get out of here sometimes. Thank you, Michael Cohen, very very much for being here today. I appreciate all your insight. Thanks, Al. Appreciate the opportunity. And folks listening, thank you. As always, hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. We will listen and get the content on that you'd like to hear about. Uh, Until next time, we'll see you on the podcast. See you later. Bye-bye.